Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello, everybody. Greetings and welcome to episode 102 of the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Hey, I am so happy to have you here that you have tuned in, subscribed, downloaded, whatever your format is for checking out this episode. Thank you for coming in. And, you know, if this is your first time checking out the show, be sure to uh, let me know what you think of it, because I, I love hearing from literally all over the world. I mean, the people in Brazil, Australia, France, oh my gosh, everywhere. China has been listening to the show here lately, and that's pretty cool. But all across Europe, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, if you are a new listener, make sure you reach out to us through our social media. We are on Facebook and Twitter. It's just the Sample Chapter Podcast. You can look us up there. Uh, You can also reach out to me at samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com. That's the email. You can reach out directly to me here at the show. And uh, just let me know what you think. Uh, Of course, all of you out there that do tune in every week, if you wouldn't mind just uh, giving me a quick like, you know, it helps uh, share the episodes. Or just share the episode with friends. Tell somebody, hey, I tuned in. I checked out this episode, yeah, like two weeks ago. Jason had this guest, and he had this uh, horror novel about Bigfoot. Uh, oh, hey, I had this incredible fantasy sci-fi book, you know, or there could be, you never know what's going to be on here. We've had westerns, romance, uh, you know, it's it's been non-stop stuff. Even the weird has been on here, <laughs> and it's, it's just a lot of fun, and uh, I love that aspect of getting to do this show and having a wide variety of books for you to choose from, so hopefully you're finding a book that you like. Hopefully you are remembering to leave that author a review if if you do like the book and uh, tell them what you think. And of course, if you like the show, if you like what you're uh, hearing, leave me a review on whatever format you are checking us out. Hey, uh, normally I would uh, take this part of the show and give you some news, give you some tidbits and stuff that's going on with me. But I want to try and keep the episode to under an hour and we're going to be pushing that already. So... Let's just get right on over, on on with the show, to our sponsors. Uh, U-Storeall has been with us from the very beginning. U-Storeall out of Warrensburg, Missouri is the premier self-storage facility, featuring two different facilities, fully fenced in, gated access, you'll have your own private gate code. They also offer climate control, which is heated, cooled, and has dehumidification, so it's true climate control. They run things off of solar power, so it's a nice green facility and incredible military discounts. So make sure you go to ustorall.net and check them out. That is spelled the letter U-S-T-O-R-A-L-L.net. I also want to thank Scrivener for being such an incredible sponsor. I use Scrivener every day with my writing. And if you are a writer, if you are somebody trying to write, I, I highly recommend that for one thing, you got to write every day. And the second thing, you need to have Scrivener because it's incredible. That You know what? My favorite thing about it is all my writing is broken up into chapters that I can just click and go. All right, so I'm writing in chapter 10. Oh, wait, I've got something. I forgot to put a note about this earlier so that way it doesn't spring it to the reader. Let me jump back to chapter 2. Add a little snippet. Okay, go back to chapter 10. Keep going. You can bounce around. You can move things around. You can find your character information all over in the left-hand pane. It is the best writing software. 
And you're going to hear an ad for them here in just a moment, how you can get a copy of it for yourself uh, with a 20% discount on the regular desktop version. Or if you are someone who uses a Mac and you're interested in getting a free copy for yourself, we had our 100th episode here a while back. I still don't have a winner for it. So that is up for grabs. First person to email me and let me know that I have a Mac and I want a free copy of Scrivener. Let me know. Reach out to me and you are going to be the winner. I'm going to announce it on social media whenever I get that winner. And then uh, I will name that person on the next episode. So reach out to me and stay tuned for that commercial here in just a moment. Uh, not a sponsor, but a friend of the show, popgoestheculture.com. All the pop culture references and entertainment that you could ask for is all available right there. And with other podcasts like The Amazing Nerd Show, Fellowship of the Geeks, Two Dads Review, and of course their flagship show, Pop Goes the Culture, you have tons of entertainment listed right there. Hit the subscribe button on, on one of those shows, you know, check out a few episodes if you want. But as Austin Powers would say, if that's your bag, hit that subscribe button and check it out. I'm feeling funky because I think it's because of my guests this week. I mean, you know, every once in a while I get a guest on here and they just sort of take over the show and I'm just sitting back for the ride. And that is exactly what happened this week. <laughs> it, it was it was a lot of fun. I got to sit down with the writing duo that makes up O.E. Tierman. Olivia and Nonir were... A trip, man. I tell you, they were something else. We talked about their cyberpunk series that's in the works right now, <laughs> blowing stuff up. Uh, tea spit takes, you know, when you spit your tea out because you read or heard something really funny. They describe what an orgy of writing is <laughs> and, and their graphic novels. I mean, there's all kinds of funny stuff, you know, that we talked about throughout the whole thing, even how to speak botany. Which, believe me, you need to tune in for this and, and hear some of this stuff. It's, it's hilarious stuff. But not only that, but they also we also got serious a few times and talked about how they are using their writing to support and uplift the marginalized communities with more diversity in their books. You know, fighting for a better tomorrow and even going so far as to provide resources in the back of their book for where people could reach out and find somebody to talk to you know if you're down if you're dealing with you know real issues they have those resources in the back for where you can go and lots and lots of great stuff olivia and nonir were amazing and i i was so thrilled that to have them on the show you are in for a trip i'm telling you so stay tuned we're gonna get to that interview right after a word from our sponsor jason here Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard. You can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener writing software, built by writers for writers. 
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting episode of the Sample Chapter Podcast. Hey, this week we have a very special episode with a, a duo, a writing duo, that comes together. We are talking with author O.E. Tierman. This is going to be Olivia and Nonir. They live in the shadows of the Rocky Mountains, in what may become the Kowai Grid. They share a house with a Bratton fur, a husband, and a great many books. Their search engine history may garner them a call from the FBI one day. When they're not living on Base 1407, they advocate for more equitable society and more sustainable agricultural practices, participate in sundry geekdom, and do their best to walk the characters' talk. <laughs> Olivia and No Near, welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast. Thank you so much for having us. We're super excited. Yeah, hello, hello. And um, I'm the one with the husband. We both have a Bratton fur of our own. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> yeah, oh, only that one. Bad. I'm going <laughs> to not say One that. husband, two brats and fur. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Great to hear. Good to hear. Good to know. Well, tell us a little bit about how did you two meet and decide to become authors? It's <laughs> a long story. Well, we actually met about a decade ago because I was bored out of my mind and working a crappy job. So I started an Irish speaking club to get better at my Irish and Nonier joined up and we just started chatting back and forth and they ran a play by post RPG at the time. And I got really excited because I was, like I said, bored out of my mind and I liked telling stories. We wrote a lot in that role play. Yes, <laughs> an awful lot. And I was working an awful sandwich shop job and feeling like I had no self-worth. So I turned to Nonia one day and I was like, that story, can can I turn it into a comic maybe? Could, could we work on that together? Because I need to do something worthwhile or I'm going to go crazy. <laughs> uh, so we kept working on that project through both of us going through several crappy jobs at various points. And we got better and better at working together. We learned to communicate appropriately. Yeah. I lost <laughs> each other. Yes. I learned to settle down and uh, we learned to listen to each other better. And by the time 2016 came around, we were a pretty good team um, bouncing each other ideas about this little steampunk comic we did. And then 2016 kind of hit like a hammer. Mm. It and was not a good year. It was not a good year. Politically, so many socially, a lot of our friends are somewhere under the rainbow and other forms of my marginalized communities. So everybody was getting really uh, nihilistic. Everybody was saying, we're just screwed. And we felt like we really needed something hopeful, but also to write out our feelings well, and, and neither of us are necessarily the, you know, go to rallies, go to protests type, but we wanted to be able to do something to, you know, make the world a little bit better. And we're both creative. So we decided we would write this series um, that, like Liv said, is kind of our pushback against all of that. Mm. Yeah. And originally it was just our own, our own way of coping with our own emotions. We hadn't originally thought about getting it ready for publication. It was just another role play. But I think it started with, I cannot remember anymore, but one of us said, can we write cyberpunk so stuff blows up? I think 
you wanted to write because I was working yeah. on something of my own and I wanted to work on world building with you. Yes. And then it evolved into this. Yeah. <laughs> and so after a while, I kept looking at what we kept writing and saying, hey, hey, you know, this is pretty good. Um, and you thought it could help other people. Yeah. Um, especially with Aiden's arc, because Aiden is the protagonist and he's a trans man. Uh-huh. Um, and he deals a lot with finding his own family and finding his own confidence and learning to be comfortable with who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and Liv was looking at it and going, you know what? I think this could help a lot of other people if we put it out there. Yeah. And the other thing that was for me is the story evolved into a story of found family in this very dark version of America, a future America that is owned by seven corporations that own you body and soul. Hmm. And in that setting, we still ended up writing a found family that laughs and watches movies and takes care of each other. So between Aiden's arc and showcasing how you support each other, even when the world has gone to hell, we decided, yeah, we're going to put this out there. So we first self-published and then we got picked up by Amphibian Press. And since then we've gone on with it. Um, book three up to book three is out, out of a projected seven. And book four is out with the sensitivity readers right now. And this process has included the line, dude, you guys went there. I didn't think you guys knew where there was. <laughs> <laughs> which, which made me spit tea on my computer laughing. <laughs> <laughs> that was from one of our beta readers. <laughs> oh my gosh. <clears throat> that is later. I will. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a process where we wrote everything for all seven books in one giant orgy of writing over <laughs> a number <laughs> about a year. Orgy of writing. That's that's a new term. Oh come on, we did. It was every night we would get well, just about we were getting on the computer and playing around with words. And then my job is to take everything we wrote and sort of figure out how to clean it up and put it into books. And then we send it out to three rounds of readers. First round is our um, alpha reader um, who just goes, um, no, your character would be dead if they did that. Then we have two really good beta readers who clean up more detailed stuff, including the fact that I don't know when to hit the tab button. <laughs> and uh, formatting is a special circle of hell. And it's good times. Yeah. And then our third round of readers are um, sensitivity readers for um, both um, tech issues to make sure that we write our little coder right when she's doing her work and LGBT issues. So we have one um, trans, um, trans character who's going through transition throughout the arc of the story and to make sure we get all that right and just other issues that come up. Okay. And we send it to Amphibian Press and we wait for the part where we get to go, yay, there's a book. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So did they, did they approach you or did you uh, approach them? Well, it's kind of a funny story. Um, we were working with a formatter and printer called Spine Press and Post, and they were good people, but life happened and they went belly up. Oh. And I've been chatting with this 
um, publisher and just as a acquaintance online. And I'd really been liking her work and I'd really been liking her stance on things. So there. when, yeah, there, there excuse me. Yeah. Uh, they changed pronouns. So when things changed with spine press and post, I kind of went to Sarah and I was like, Sarah, our formatter went belly up. What's, how do you take submissions? Cause I just couldn't stand finding another formatter because it had been a hell of a time trying to find spine and we got to really like them. And so when they went belly up, I just went, Oh no, <laughs> I got somebody else. I'm so sick of this. <laughs> I had previously read our books. Yeah. Right? They had read and reviewed book one and they had really liked it. Mm -hmm. And we'd gotten a glowing review from them. So when spine went belly up, we said, well, I said, oh, they liked book one, maybe. <laughs> and they jumped on it. And so we went for it. Awesome. That's really awesome then. Congratulations. Thank you. And so, I really do approach people like that. I'm like, hi. She's like a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> so prior to this, how much writing or uh, – I know you did a little bit of uh, creativity with some writing and some artwork. What is that? Did you do a lot of that on your own or anything else together? Um, I mean, we did the web comic together. Yeah, we do the web comic Parmesan together, and it's um, still our baby. But No Near has a wonderful collection of writings on their own. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have some short stories published under Emily K. Singer. Um, and I have some poetry and nonfiction published under Noni Aramisidia. Uh, Liv does a lot of the video, the visual art. But yeah, in, in addition to the stuff we do under O.E. Tierman, we, we both have our own creative endeavors that sometimes come together and sometimes don't. Yeah. Um, Noni runs Wandering Yoten. Thank you, because I can't talk. And I own Leaping Out Professional Gardening, and I write ethnobotany books through that, which is the More interesting than they sound. Yeah. <laughs> the intersection of plants and folklore, but it's like, um, how do you say, I hate you and I never want to see you again in flowers? That's in the language of flowers. Oh. That kind of stuff. So yeah, I have a lot of fun with illustrating those kinds of books in the wintertime. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's a nice way to switch up, and but what I love is after I've spent time carefully researching all the Latin names for all these plants and illustrating botanical specimens, then I get to jump back into cyberpunk and go, no near, let's blow something up. <laughs> so, yeah, it's fun. And I'm like, we need another queer character up in here. Yes. <laughs> that oh, my gosh. But that's what I do a lot of is um, – I mean, I don't want to say that, like, the marginalized community thing was entirely my idea in these books, but that's that's my champion is. Yeah. I'm wondering, Yoten Crafts uh, is designed to help support and uplift marginalized communities. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I'm always like, how diverse can we make this? <laughs> yeah. I'm the one who writes kind of the MI6 sorts of characters because I'm bisexual and I'm very used to code switching. So... I write the characters who can look traditional or can look normal if they feel like it. Mm. And if they don't, they don't. Okay. 
Now, the webcomic, is that still online somewhere? Yeah, it's at um, parmesan.com, and it's also up on Tapastic. And you just type in... spell Parmesan? Yeah, P-A-R-M-E-S-H-E-N. And yes, I do regret the name. It's the <laughs> word for legends. And only later did people go, that sounds like cheese. <laughs> I go, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> this is the problem with studying other languages. Also the problem with letting you name things. Yeah, that's I true. love you. But... <laughs> well, and I was being teased the other night because book four has the name Aces and Eights. And one of my, one of our beta readers was like, what does that mean? And I had to explain the dead man's hand and that while Bill Hickok was holding aces and eights in his hand when he got shot back. Right. And so aces and eights is bad luck. <laughs> and probably going to die. <laughs> I, yeah. I was at uh, I was at writing club last night and uh, we had a fantasy that was being read aloud to see you know, how is this working, and it was just full of you know made up names and made up words and plants and all, but we were <laughs> we were all just struggling so hard to go, okay, well the way you tell it, we're getting it, but trying to go back and give you a critique of hey maybe you should touch on this or touch on that is really difficult because we don't know what. We're talking about here or there, the, the, the made-up words. It's like, mm -hmm. but I guess if you make it up, it works. So, <laughs> Yeah, and that's the one nice thing about doing Parmesan as a comic because it's very visual. So you're just dumped in this alternate world, steampunk world, full of people with wings and, and cats that walk on two legs and people with yellow eyes and shapeshifters. And I don't have to explain anything because it's in pictures. <laughs> I mean, we explain stuff later, but... When we wrote it as a play-by-post, it was hilarious. And we just kind of rolled with it because it was just us talking to ourselves and each other. So we didn't worry about who wouldn't understand because we all understood. Okay. Now, does that was that the, the impetus for Joker's Wild, the Aces High book? Not really. The team is called the Wild Cards. Okay. So... Because they're called the wild cards, we, I was like, we got to play off of that. So we went with Aces High, Joker's Wild, because in a poker game, those are the highest stakes. Mm -hmm. um, it's the hardest game to play. It also just sounded cool. <laughs> and now our website sounds like gambling site. Sorry. <laughs> yes, we've been getting lots of comments about, oh, is this Martin's work? No, we've never heard of Martin's work uh, that had anything to do with cards. Please stop asking. <laughs> but yeah. that's cool. Uh, that gives you, you said you've got seven books. Is that the completion of it or do you have more coming? Well, seven books in the main series. And then fingers crossed, knock on wood, we want to do a series of a trio of YA books af set after the war. Mm. Because... If you look at history, it's easy to win a war, but fixing a country that's been through a war is a lot harder. So we're going to take the next generation, the kids that show up throughout this series, and show the country not just getting through war, but healing itself. Okay. Like, we wrote the darkest version of America that we possibly could, and the whole point of this series is how do we rise? Hmm. How do we get out of the dark? And that's important 
because it's it's one thing to be in the dark and and be pushed down but you know people only want to read so much of that they want to find out how are they going to overcome and come out on top yeah and, and so much of the cyberpunk genre in particular although it's it's becoming way more common in general fantasy and sci-fi too is just the grittier and the darker you can get you want to push for that and i don't understand it mm-hmm. it's like all of the like really gritty dark dc movies like i don't understand I go to comics because I want to escape and see something that's better than what we currently have. But there's this, this trend of like reflecting the real world getting darker in our media, which on one hand I can understand because media always reflects the society from which it comes, but also, eh, why? (laughs) (laughs) I've heard a a theory on that. And the theory is that all those gritty dark things show Agency, because it's vigilantism, it's I get to grab power and run with it and no bureaucracy, no rules are going to stop me from doing what I think needs to be done. We kind of play with the opposite of, yeah, each of us has our own talents, but together, that's how we make things happen. Um, We really got into this in book three where several crack bases are working together to make a mission happen. And it was so much fun playing all these different personalities off each other because they're all kind of hotshot in their own area of expertise. But when they work together, they really kick ass because (laughs) by ourselves, sure, you know, like Nonier was saying, you can be a vigilante with a gun in a gritty world, but someday somebody's going to pull their gun faster than you. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're part of a team, part of a force, then yeah, sometimes you'll lose friends and you'll lose people you care about, but the journey goes on and the hope of fighting for a better tomorrow goes on even if you lose one or two people in the fight. I also like, like just the general idea of community that we have in the books, um, which I know you and I are both really adamant about in person too, but with the world, the way it is, we're all growing further and further apart from each other. And I, I don't mean this in the like, stop texting, stop being on your phone way, but in the just, it's, it's harder to, really be yourself and be vulnerable in a way that builds community, if that makes sense. Yeah. But none of us can get through this alone. Like we need that community and we need that support system. Yeah. Um, And I think that at least from my opinion, that's, that's another kind of important point we have in the book. Stop me if I'm going down a rabbit hole on you. You rabbit hole? No. (laughs) You can tell we've known each other a while, right? But um, one of the things I read about is how to fight radicalization. And it can be everything from, you know, over in Syria, radicals to white supremacist movements here in America. And one of the things is get these young people to feel like they're part of the community. Because what happens with those movements is someone finds someone who's lost who's lonely, who's looking for a reason to keep going or a place where they can feel 
like their life is meaningful and they take them by the arm and they say, hey, I've got a story for you. I've got meaning for you. And it works, not because the message is good, but because people are so hungry for community Mm -hmm. and for meaning. So if we want to fight that in a realistic way, you don't go, you need the people who will go out in the streets and defend against, you know, somebody burning a cross. But you also need the person at the school building a young king's club for the young boys saying, you have a community here. You need people saying, hey, come to the the neighborhood cookout. Everybody's welcome. And I mean everybody. You need all of that because it's when people are alone that they turn in on themselves and they'll take anything that resembles support. Toxic. Yeah. It's kind of like when someone's starving. <clears throat> they'll eat the ding-dongs. <laughs> but you're hungry. Right. Right. No, no, I, I totally agree with that. That's a, that's a great statement. Cause yeah, it's it, somebody can be great at something individually, but it's not going to get you everything you need. You need to have that person who can bake. You need the person who knows how to make clothes. You need somebody who can bring you all together. Uh, and then like you said, somebody who can go out in the streets to do a fight, but who's going to organize uh, you know, tomorrow's day, uh, everybody can, needs to come together and it's not just, well, the hands were given, uh, it's community. And I think that's beautiful. That's, that's awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It actually comes from a rock song. It comes from the hands were given, not the, the yeah, the hands philosophy. Were, yeah. The hands were given. <laughs> we make a lot of jokes. The title comes from, okay, I'm a huge eighties nerd. Mm-hmm. And we gave that to one of our characters. He is a history buff who loves the 1980s the way some folks, some of our friends and some of sometimes us, <laughs> love the Victorian era, where it doesn't really make sense, but it's so pretty and cool. And he's living in 2155, so the 1980s are exactly as far away from him as the Victorian era is from us. Um, anyway, so it comes from... Um, Oh, no, yeah, will you let me look at the playlist real quick? Don't use the spot in the book. I need it. I won't. Um, <laughs> there's a playlist in the back of each of our books um, referencing everything we quote in the book and also just giving people a bunch of fun songs. So it is Midnight Oil's Beds Are Burning. Okay. And there's a line in there saying, uh, these are... Uh, this is the world we live in. Or no, it's Genesis. It's Genesis's I, land. Lay in a confusion. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. I, I know that line now. Yeah. This is, yeah, this is the world we live in. These are the hands we're given. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's where we got the title from. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. That's a whole nother connection for me now. Cause I remember, I'm a, I lived through the eighties. So I remember when that came out. So yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. And we're young enough that the eighties are nostalgic for us. But not so out out of date that we don't understand it at all. <laughs> yep. Well, it's give like, it time. Give it time because I remember when the '70s were all the rage, and now I'm I'm loving it because it's like, yeah, it's the '80s. Yeah, here we go. And then before long, it'll be the '90s, and then which is just weird, <laughs> isn't it? Though. 
But uh, yeah, speaking of the playlists in the back of the book, we also have uh, in the back of every book mental health resources uh, because we deal with a lot of heavy stuff in the book despite the general hopeful tone. And we both really want to be able to help the community more than just saying, here's a book. Um, and so if we get someone who picks up this book and is like, oh, this character is just like me, we want them to turn to the last page and go, oh, wow, there's stuff I can do about it. Yeah. There, there are other people I can talk to. There's places I can get help. There's stuff I can look into. Um, because like I, I didn't have that support when I was going through some of this and it's for me at least really important to, to be able to hand that to someone else. It, it is important. Yeah, that's something that there's never enough resources for that. In, yeah. the, in the military, my wife was a suicide intervention uh, trainee. Like she was trained to, she went all over the country uh, training other military personnel how to look for the signs, how to intervene uh, when you come across that kind of stuff. And it was just, yeah, there's never enough resources for that. So that's that's a fantastic little bit to have in the back of the book saying like, Hey, here, go here. We want to help you. I love that. Thanks. Yeah. My mom's just back from her fourth deployment and I've had my own mental health stuff go on and we both have. have. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to speak for you. (laughs) Sorry. Honey, we're sitting here with my stack of medications (laughs) right in front of us. (laughs) Um, But One of the pet peeves I have that I actually picked up from my mom, the vet, is people will say, oh, you should get help for that. And then they drop the conversation there. And what they don't realize is a lot of people don't know where to start. Well, that or you go you go Google it and you're like, I need this for veterans. And you call 10 different places and nobody answers or they put you on a waiting list. Mm-hmm. And if you're down, if you're in trouble already, the last thing you need is calling 10 places and getting turned down 10 times. So that was a big impetus mm-hmm. for us both to put some resources that are reliable in mm-hmm. the back of all of our books. Yeah. Yeah. Just calling one place is a huge step for somebody in that mindset, let alone calling a couple of different ones or waiting for a call back. That's it, it just, it can't happen. You need to have somebody ready to uh, answer the call. Yeah, exactly. And uh, a couple of our characters go through some serious mental health stuff. So in different ways, um, we have a young neurodivergent girl who's a coder and she's great in a coding chair, but she is fighting some serious demons and our protagonist Aiden is dealing with depression and and body dysphoria and social dysphoria and yeah so and transition and yeah all the fun things that come with being trans and gay well and come with having a pair of assholes for parents okay. so yeah because having being outside the gender norm is not a bad thing but when you don't have the support it can really screw you up so yeah yeah and when society's still screwed up not as supportive as it should be it it can be a big problem yeah so yeah um now that we've bent your ear (laughs) (laughs) 
that's all right. I mean, sometimes you know people need to uh, people need to hear what I mean. That's what we're doing here. We're talking about what's in the book, what people can expect, and and that's a portion of it that it's it's good for people to hear. Awesome. Well, they can expect uh, found family, a lot of support, a lot of joking around, bad eighties jokes, bad eighties jokes, sex, drones, rock and roll, and explosions. And explosions. <laughs> More explosions in later books, but there's some in this one. That's but yeah, awesome. for, for as much as we talk about like our social agenda on things like podcasts, the book itself is still just a fun story. Yeah. It kind of just has this stuff woven in. We're not whacking anybody over the head with it. It's just yeah, we part don't... of the character development and the world development. So We only preach on podcasts. <laughs> book. Yeah, it's really just people trying to take care of each other in a place where somebody can shoot you to get dinner. These mm. people stand up for each other and take care of each other. There we go. It's all about family. Yeah. And awesome. it doesn't matter whose blood comes from where. If you take care of each other, you become family. That's the biggest thing. I love it. I love it. Where can, uh, where can listeners find you, find you and, uh, and follow you? Well, we are on aceshighjokerswild.com, um, and we are on uh, Twitter as the at sign E. Tierman, because I thought I was being smart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and we're on Facebook at uh, Aces High Jokers Wild. Uh, just type it in. Um, and books on Amazon, Barnes uh-huh. and Noble. Um, I think you can pretty much get them anywhere. Yep. Books to read.com. We're on there. Um, go to Amphibian Press and we're under the sci-fi section. And on both those websites, there's a free copy of book one. Fantastic. And on Audible. Book one is out on Audible, um, audiobook. And book two is out in Knock on Wood September. In audiobook. In audiobook. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I I really enjoyed that little snippet that you sent me and uh, got to sit down at work and when since nobody else was there, I got to plug it in and, and listen to that and that was a lot of fun. Oh, awesome! Yeah, Kirk Graves is wonderful, and the fact that he has pulled off so many voices. Um, one of the characters you didn't hear in that snippet has a very strong Western drawl, and he pulled that off. He pulled off Kevin's accent, which is supposed to be a very high class. American accent with an English twist to it because he grew up hearing his mom's English accent. <laughs> um, and, you know, he pulled off everybody. That's wonderful. Yeah, it was it was very well done and very wonderful. So <clears throat> I'm looking forward to, uh, to catching some more of this. Well, what uh, what can we expect? Cause I know the chapter was, was going to be a big one, so you're reading from a portion of that. What can we expect from uh, uh, from the hands we're given? Well, the snippet that Nonier is going to read today for us is from a chapter where um, the crew needed specific supplies to keep their security system for their base running because there is a system of drones that patrol all the uninhabited areas of the country. And if they find your heat signature or visual signature, they drop a bomb on you and you die. So they have these things called slick tarps, which are nano mesh woven with uh, fiber optic fibers to 
make a, a compound think like a shipping crate put together a couple of shipping crates. That's kind of what a compound looks like in reality. These tarps make it look like a rock formation or just more dirt or whatever they need it to look like in that area. But theirs is breaking down and they based it off of an old model. So they're trying to break into a junkyard. Uh, and everybody also has to go get food and get other things. So their logistics and requisitions officer, Reed, really good thief, was saying, oh, I'll just go by myself. And everybody freaked in this chapter and said, no, you won't. And the commander said, okay, I'm the only one who doesn't have something to do right now. I'll, I'll go, go with him. And they've been dancing around the fact that these two like each other. So that's where we are at the moment. <laughs> All right. Well, I can't wait to hear more about it. And thank you again, uh, Olivia and Donier. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a lot of fun to talk to you and, and get some insight into uh, the books that you write. And I, this is some, some great work, and I, I can't wait to uh, hear more about it. Thank you. Thank you. It's It's been a pleasure to be on and be able to ramble about all of our stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for me to step aside. We're getting ready to hear from the writing team of Olivia Nonier, the team behind O.E. Tierman, with The Hands We're Given. The junkyard was only a quarter of a mile square, but inside its shadowed ranks of junk, the space felt larger. Aiden and Kevin were dwarfed by piles of scrap metal, broken tech, and anything Tetco had labeled as general salvage grade. Nothing in here was any more valuable than its weight in metal and plastic. Of course, a lot of the broken pieces were perfect for filling Tweak's list. The trick would be finding them, before they got caught, hopefully. They sifted through the nearest pile as quietly as they could manage. This was going to take forever, but there was no alternative. Nobody bothered to keep a catalog on salvage-grade parts they could be hacked. Not when it was all going in the smelter. They just have to depend on their suit's scanning and image recognition tech. Kevin compared pieces to the list on his data tab. Most of what looked promising turned out to be the wrong make or model for the equipment they had. The data chips could be overwritten and the slick fabric could be patched into the base defenses for a few weeks, but they needed to find that hollow board to repair the base's camouflage long term. They moved on to another pile. Aiden's suit showed a green arrow on his left glove, pointing up. He climbed the metal of mountain, sharp pieces poking his palms through the gloves. He tossed down more data chips and a twisted grab lift that looked like it could still be salvaged. Then he glanced up and grinned. What looked to be the model of hollowboard they needed sat half buried in debris just out of his reach. He shifted his footing and stretched upward. The suit's hood backed up his guess, outlining the piece in green. Something gave way beneath him. He yelped as he fell, rolling down the metallic slope. Smaller pieces of scrap followed in a jingling imitation of an avalanche. He landed hard on his back, feeling the slick suit's battery compartment crunch beneath him and his knee shoot fire up his leg as it slammed into something. Red text flashed on his HUD. Battery compromised. Suit operation at 50%. Aiden cursed as he gingerly pushed himself up to sitting position. Are you all right? Kevin asked. Kevin rested a hand on Aiden's back, helping support him. He nodded and wincingly bent his aching knee. It flexed. He let out a breath of relief. I'll be fine. Suit's crapping out, though. Pick up the pace. 
Kevin's tab beeped in his other hand and he froze. He cursed under his breath and shoved the tab in, in the pouch at his waist. Drones incoming. Heart constricting, Aiden jumped to his feet, grabbed Kevin's arm, and yanked him around another massive pile of junk. There, the, the rusting hulk of a go-car. He shoved Kevin toward it without a word and scrambled after him. They lay under the chassis, shoulders pressed together. Their breath was loud in Aiden's ears. His heartbeat thumped in his gut. Had the drones been alerted to the hole in the fence? Had they made too much noise in their search? Or was this just a routine sweep? The whir of rotor blades broke the night. Only one drone by the sound of it. Aiden held his breath. Blue text flickered over the inside of his face screen, almost too fast to read. But one string of characters made him hiss a curse. Kev, they're scanning on all security circuits. They'll find us. Before Kevin could respond, something exploded not far away. Metal rained down on the shell of the dead car. Something hit with enough force to bend the floorboard dangerously close to Aiden's head. Move, Kevin hissed. He squirmed out of the shelter. Aiden whispered commands into his suit as he followed, desperately trying to start it cycling through all of its settings. A bright red warning flashed across his vision. Suit operation at 40%. Shit. The sound of the drone's rotors grew closer. He stumbled. Kevin steadied him and kept running. Bullets peppered the pile of junk right beside Aiden. A sharp edge cut through the side of his slick suit. The red text flashed across the screen again. The suit briefly tightened around his torso and let loose a soft warning beat, as if the text wasn't enough. Get back to the truck, Kevin hissed, shoving the collection's bag into Aiden's hands. Aiden opened his mouth. Kevin, what? But it was already too late. Kevin had turned off his slick suit's camouflage and sprinted into the metal wasteland. The drone would be on him in seconds. Aiden slung the bag over his shoulder, but he didn't even consider running for the truck. Screw whatever Kevin thought he was doing, Aiden wasn't losing his logistics officer. He wasn't losing Kevin. His boots crunched into the gritty soil, and he gasped command queries as he ran. Instead of struggling to get his suit to cycle through the security circuits, he ordered it to look for anything that looked like a ranged weapon with enough juice to work. The drone fired again. Metal fell like killing rain. Kevin yelped somewhere in the dark. Aiden's suit pinged, a directional arrow appearing on his left glove. He snatched up the welder's bolt gun before he'd realized what it was. The barrel looked slightly warped, but his suit's sensors assured him the inner workings were sound, though this model only had enough charge for ten bolts, if he was lucky. He thumbed the on switch and found himself pleasantly surprised when the gun actually started to hum in his hands as it warmed up. The drone buzzed. Kevin screamed. The pleasure fizzled. Aiden's footing was unsure on the shifting landscape, but he kept running. The drone flashed between the stars, a black disc three feet wide, barely visible in the night. Aiden aimed the bolt gun at it and hoped like hell it had warmed up enough. He pulled the trigger. The flash of light nearly blinded him. He hadn't honestly expected to hit the drone on the first try, but his aim was apparently better than he thought. The drone's rotor whirred. It ditched toward the ground. Kevin, heads up, Aiden shouted. He couldn't see where Kevin was or exactly where the drone would hit. All he could do was hope. The drone crashed into one of the mountains of junk, scattering scrap everywhere. A coil of frayed wire bounced down to land at Aiden's feet. He kicked it away and scrambled in the direction Kevin had gone. Kev! Kevin! Talk to me! The groan was so quiet that Aiden almost didn't hear it. He scrambled towards it. Kevin? Another soft groan, followed by a weak, I'm okay. Aiden scrambled toward the sound. He nearly tripped over Kevin, 
who was lying half buried under an avalanche of bits and pieces. Ignoring another warning on the inside of his face screen, suit operation at 20%, Aiden knelt down beside him and started brushing scrap off him. You dumbass, he snarled. What were you thinking, turning your suit off? Get it back on, now! Kevin gingerly sat up and shook his head, trying to clear it. Just to kill your gambit. Draw them off your position, he whispered, wincing when Aiden touched his shoulder. He rubbed his cheek where a purple bruise was already spreading. Damn, that hurt. Get your suit activated, Aiden snapped. He glanced up at the stars, half expecting another drone. That's an order, Kevin. Kevin shook his head again, but he blurred as he reactivated his slick suit. You've got to get out of here, the logistics officer whispered. There will be another drone soon. Your suit's broken. Then we're leaving together, Aiden hissed back. Like hell am I leaving you behind. Aiden shoved aside the last of the debris that had landed on Kevin. Nothing had so much as torn his suit. Lucky. Think you can walk? I'll manage, Kevin murmured. We need to get the gear back to space. Aiden snorted and moved to sling Kevin's arm over his shoulder. Then you better get your ass moving. He switched shoulders when Kevin yelped. Did you take the drone down? Kevin's voice sounded weak as he levered himself to his feet, leaning heavily on Aiden. Aiden nodded and turned back to the hole they'd cut in the fence. Yeah, but they're probably sending another one right now, so move. Kevin glanced at the sky, but he walked. His boots crunched along the metal-strewn ground. Red flashed across Aiden's vision again, suit functionality shutting down. Crap, Aiden whispered despite himself, as if the suit failing to hide his body heat wasn't bad enough. Now he might have to cut it off instead of using the normal electrical release. Great. That took their base down to a single slick suit, assuming Kevin's didn't take damage before they got out. Assuming they made it out. They made their way across the shifting landscape back toward the fence. Aiden kept looking at the sky, expecting to see another drone against the stars. Once or twice, he thought he heard the whine of rotors spinning toward them. Aiden skidded to a stop when they reached the fence. The cliffs he'd used to hold the mesh back from the hole were still in place, but there was no hole in sight. The nanobots must have overcome the virus. Shit. He yanked the knife from his boot again and desperately began sawing at the mesh. This time, the sound of rotors was real and growing closer. Definitely more than one drone headed their way. The nanobots shimmered and shifted in the wake of his knife until Kevin jammed his hands into the cut to keep it open. Bullets pinged off metal behind them. The fence split, and Aiden reached back to shove Kevin through. As he ducked down to follow, the bag they'd filled with supplies caught on the rapidly resealing fence. He cursed under his breath and tugged. Aiden pulled harder on the bag. He tried to push it backward and move it off the snag, but couldn't get the leverage. The fence mesh seemed to cling to it like a high-powered magnet. Kevin crouched down in front of him. Without a word, he reached over and grabbed the top of the bag, shoved it backward and down, then pulled both it and Aiden out of the junkyard in one smooth motion. He snatched a pistol out of his belt and turned to face the fence. Get the truck going. Motor has to turn over a few times. I'll watch our backs. Aiden scrambled out of his crouch. Kevin, he hissed, don't play hero again. Not the intent, the logistics officer replied coolly, but he didn't move. Gritting his teeth, Aiden bolted for the truck. It sounded like the drones were right on top of them, but they hadn't started shooting yet. They must still be just out of range. He drove into the driver's seat and turned the keys. The engine spluttered. Bullets sprayed the ground, kicking up a cloud of dust so thick Aiden could barely see the junkyard fence. He tried again. The engine whined. The dark shapes of three drones flitted over the junkyard, blotting out the stars. 
Aiden desperately turned the keys, slamming his foot on the accelerator. The truck's engine finally revved. Kevin flung open the passenger side door and leapt inside. Go, go, go! Aiden slammed it into reverse and hit the gas. They jumped backward. Once the truck was far enough away from the fence, he changed gears and wrenched the wheel around. They bumped and rattled into the night as fast as Aiden dared without the headlights on. The heat of the engine would make them easy to follow for the drone's thermal cameras, but the short-range guard drones couldn't go too far from their base of operation before their programming called them back. Aiden just hoped they could outrun them. He gripped the steering wheel so hard it hurt. He could feel the suit tightening down against his skin. His heart pounded in his chest. Kevin's breathing was ragged beside him. Another burst of bullets sprayed the ground right in front of them. Aiden yelped and yanked the wheel to avoid getting hit. The truck jittered to the side. Aiden slammed on the gas. The desert night sped past in a blur of blue and red under the starlight. Slowly, the whir of rotors faded into the distance. Aiden's grip on the steering wheel began to relax. Kevin pulled his tab out of his bag and set it on the dashboard, watching as the screen flipped through the security channels they'd hacked into, keeping track of the location of dozens of drones. Finally, Aiden pulled up under an overhang of red rock and cut the engine. The wide-range security drones were due to make their flyover soon. Better to stop for a while and recover, get back on the road when it was safer. He sat in silence for a long time, listening for rotors over the quiet buzz of the night insects. Aiden rested his arms on the steering wheel and propped his chin on his wrist, watching the star-studded sky. You all right? Kevin breathed. At some point during the drive, he had deactivated his slick suit. Aiden sighed and leaned back so he could manually flip his face screen up. Yeah, think so. Dang my knee pretty bad. Your shoulder? Bruised. Doesn't feel severe. Kevin shrugged. Um, good, Aiden whispered eventually. So, they were alive. They've gotten out with most of what they've gone in for. At the expense of a bad bruise across Kevin's cheek, that or worse to his shoulder, and an action that could have caused so much more. Slowly, some of his anger seeped back. He took a breath. You scared hell out of me back there and acted like a complete gamma, Kev. Don't do that again. Kevin ducked his head in a slow nod. I'm sorry, Aiden. I, When I saw you like that, I guess I panicked. Aiden sighed. Kevin was normally so level-headed. He'd been utterly cool on grid when Aiden had been scared shitless. So why had he acted like that out here? On the tab screen, the red dot of a drone approached their location. They waited in breathless silence as the long-range drone passed, not even the sound of whirring to announce its presence. The red dot moved out of range. Aiden breathed out. Kevin looked up with a smile. So close. They were so close. That's the last of them. A very fine night's work, if I do say so. Aiden tried to smile, but it faltered. I didn't get the hollowboard. That was the part we needed most. Kevin smirked as he pulled the bag out from the floorboard and into his lap. He rifled quickly through the materials they had managed to grab, yanked, and pulled out the board with a wink. Oh, I don't know about that. What? How? Aiden breathed, feeling the wave of defeat that had been threatening lift. Fell down the pile when you did, Kevin whispered, grinning. I simply grabbed it up. After all, I am the requisitions officer. Snatching things is my forte. A rush of joy shot through Aiden. They'd done it. They'd gotten everything. Nose to nose with Kevin, he grinned. Holy shit, we... Holy shit! You... Wow! Kevin, holy shit! This is like one of your vids! Kevin's eyes glittered like silver in the low light. You know, if this is a vid, I know how the scene ends. Yeah? Aiden asked, still giddy with relief. Kevin was still smiling, his teeth white outlines in his grin. 
And he was leaning closer. Aiden could feel the heat of his breath. Heroes always get a kiss at the end of the adventure. That's the convention. Kevin tipped his head, eyes holding Aiden's. Would the hero like a kiss? Aiden froze. Was Kevin actually... Was he? He wet his lips. His voice escaped as a whisper. Am I supposed to be the hero? Kevin's smile was soft now, and he was so very close. I don't see anyone else in the driver's seat, so you must be. Then he pressed his lips against Aiden's. Kevin's lips were hot. Aiden's brain turned inside out. Kevin was kissing him. Kevin had started kissing him. This was real. He leaned into the warmth with a pleasure that was almost pain. This was only going to be a second, but if only this second would last. Softly, Kevin drew back. Is that okay? Kevin's whisper barely made it through the buzzing in Aiden's brain. He gasped in a breath. Um, yeah. Okay. He swallowed hard and forced himself to sit up. We should get going home. Kevin nodded, eyes still holding his as he drew away. I suppose we should. And that was the incredible writing duo of Olivia and Nonir, the writing team behind O.E. Tierman, reading from book one of Aces High, Joker's Wild, The Hands We're Given. It was an incredible chapter, lots of good stuff going on there, and the book is available right now, so go and get it. Click the link in the show notes to find that, and all of the other links that we talked about during the episode. Don't forget to also click the links for our friends and sponsors alike, and don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that next week you don't miss out when I'm back with a new author, a new book, and a brand new sample chapter. Take care. We'll see you again real, real soon.